Welcome everyone to the Leadership Evolve podcast, where each week we aim to explore modern principles and philosophies to help one lead a better life both at work and at home. The focus for this session was a correlation between experience and leadership. I believe that we now live in a society where professional value, especially for leaders, is solely dependent on experience. And I think that excludes some amazing entrepreneurs and leaders out there who consistently take the risk and take the dive into something where they don't have any experience. And they not only prove that it can be done, but they actually thrive in it. I couldn't think of a more perfect guest to support this topic. He is an amazing individual who became an executive chef at a Michelin rated restaurant at the age of 23. His mindset and the way he approaches growth and leadership is truly inspiring. It genuinely gives me hope that future generations can be guided by amazing leaders such as him. He's been featured on Forbes 30 Under 30, the Michelin Guide website, and a ton of other publications that truly attest to the impact he's had. Everyone, please give it up for Akshay Bardwaj. Definitely. I, you know, I feel like part of this new normal, I have to start every conversation like this. Um, you know, how have you and, and Janoon uh, dealt with a pandemic and, and where are you guys right now with all that? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess with the pandemic, it's it's been it's been quite tricky, I think, for everyone. Um, but we, we've been good. Like, you know, my, my family, everyone health wise as well. My staff, um, you know, one of one of the main things is to make sure that everyone is healthy and that we, you know, everyone is safe. So. Uh, you know, knock on wood, everyone was, everyone is safe, everyone's healthy. Uh, we were open for a little while doing takeout and delivery uh, when when uh, they kind of started uh, easing the restrictions a little bit um, and announced the outdoor dining plan. Uh, so mid-May, we started takeout delivery, and then around June, um, we started with the outdoor dining. And uh, it just, at that point, kind of, uh, as we were seeing things unfold, uh, you know, learning things every day about about this virus, about the pandemic, and, uh, you know, with all the regulations that were going on, uh, the safety protocols in the state uh, and in the city, we figured that it didn't make sense to continue doing outdoor dining because it just wasn't matching up with our overhead costs uh, long term. Uh, since the indoor dining, we do about 200 seats. Outdoor, we could only do 20 at a time uh, and take out delivery, uh, you know, isn't sustainable either. So we closed down uh, mid-August and uh, mm-hmm. are currently looking for, uh, you know, we're uh, on, a, on a new location uh, to move into somewhere, hopefully smaller, uh, mm-hmm. stay in the neighborhood. And then uh, we're working on another project right now called uh, Janoon Social which is a fast, mm-hmm. uh, casual Indian concept. Oh, very cool. And so I know last I read that New York is allowing about 25% capacity. Is that still doesn't align with you guys from an overhead perspective? Yeah, it's, that's, it's still tough. Like um, even in, uh, and we've seen some prospective places uh, in opening uh, our new location, mm-hmm. uh, even with a reduced size, the 25% still, you know, would not cover it because essentially at this point with what, uh, you know, the governor and mayor are saying are that outdoor dining will continue. Uh, but as we see the weather changing and getting colder, yeah. we're seeing that people aren't necessarily uh, wanting to dine outside. And there's still yeah. some skepticism in going inside into a restaurant right now. Mm-hmm. So it's understandable. So, yeah, we're, we're still waiting to see until it, you know, hits over 50%. Uh, we're just going to kind of uh, wait and see. Yeah. No, it's funny, the timing of, of this conversation. I'm actually headed to New York uh, with my girlfriend this weekend, uh, one of our best friend's birthdays there. Okay. And I was trying to book Janoon, and I kept seeing that it wasn't available. So I, obviously, we ran through that a lot with, with a lot of restaurants. And it seems like the better restaurants are all on the kind of similar position you guys are at. So, um, you know, I definitely have to come a, a, another time to enjoy Janoon. Yeah, absolutely. When we reopen, I'll let you know you'll be one of the first people. I actually got introduced to Janoon a year ago. My same buddy that lives there, he went there once and he told me all about it. And obviously I'm 3,000 miles away. Mm-hmm. So 
had to search it up. And long story short, that's how I came across who you were. Um, and man, I, w- I was just so fascinated beyond like all the great stuff that you've done from a culinary perspective, uh, just how you've managed uh, uh, an entire staff in, in, that, in a kitchen environment where it's notorious for being super intense and also like so much emphasis on hierarchy and experience. So I was so curious about, you know, like a million questions popped in my head, but the the second that you got that position in 2017 and you became executive chef, uh, maybe a day later, a week later, what were some of those values and visions that you had for the restaurant and how did you go about executing those? Yeah. So for kind of when I took over, I was given a, uh, a couple of weeks notice about, you know, two, two weeks or so. Uh, They're looking at some other candidates at the time. Uh, so, you know, with the lack of experience, essentially, <clears throat> uh, in in terms of what I wanted to set uh, forth with my values, uh, you know, for for the staff and for the restaurant, uh, was to just kind of make sure a that everyone is unified, uh, that we all saw a singular vision, and that b that singular vision would uh, and it sounds cliche would be to make sure that we are giving a very unique experience to our guests and our clientele that are coming in, uh, you know, because the restaurant as uh, you know, as you've seen, uh, uh, you know, like in the, in the interior, it's, it's a, it's a gorgeous restaurant. The second you walk in, uh, you know, there's, it's clear that there was a lot of money put into it and, you know, from the service, the, you know, the hospitality, the wine selection, the cocktail selection, uh, everything is uh, done with the purpose. So I wanted to make sure that the food we served also um, would be on that level of, of a fantastic wine list, of a fantastic uh, bar program, uh, as well as fantastic service. Uh, and that when a guest comes in, that what they are eating that night is not replicated or is tough to replicate in other restaurants uh, that serve Indian food. And, you know, I wanted us to continuously push the boundaries. Um, you know, the, the, the meaning of Janoon uh, in Hindi and the word the language means passion. So, you know, I wanted that to be one of the values also was that, you know, whoever walks into this kitchen, uh, wears a uniform, uh, works as a server, a busboy, um, a hostess, bartender, barback, manager, whoever it is, uh, that they showcase that passion for hospitality and to make sure that the guests have a very unique and, uh, you know, a great experience. Yeah, definitely. You had mentioned before that, um, you know, Indian kitchens especially are, are so valued upon experience, but you wanted to break that barrier you know, when you had to first implement these, what helped you most to get the staff to rally around you and say, don't focus on my age. Here's what I'm focused on. Here's my vision. What, how did you navigate through that? Yeah, that, that was definitely a little tricky. Uh, I was 23 at the time when I took over. So, uh, you know, one of the first things, and, and I was kind of, uh, starting, uh, in, in a tough situation almost because, uh, uh, I was the only sous chef at the restaurant and the head chef and the number two uh, had had left. So I essentially took over as head chef and uh, needed to kind of find uh, uh, another manager. Uh, there are two managers, actually, uh, one for the morning, one for the night. Uh, since it's at 12, it's, we, we start our day at 6 a.m. and finish at 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, trying to figure out how do I bring in staff uh, that will that I have a trust for that understands how I work. Uh, what was kind of tough. Uh, I was kind of lucky that because I've been working for about six years already in New York City, five six years. Um, I had come to meet a pretty uh, decent number of uh, cooks and sous chefs throughout those years. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to a few of them uh, when I was when I knew I was going to take over and uh, set up some meetings to uh, bring on uh, some of the cooks that I had worked with previously so that, uh, you know, I could kind of skip that whole phase of getting to know the person 
because they had seen me work. So mm -hmm. there was no real struggle of, oh, is this guy going to respect me or not respect me? Because he had seen how I worked. Mm -hmm. I had seen how that person worked. Uh, so there was a mutual understanding, a mutual respect. And, uh, you know, I, like I said before, you know, I laid out my vision for what I wanted to do, what the goals were, mm -hmm. uh, how I wanted to execute it, how I wanted to implement certain things. And um, I was able to get, uh, you know, uh, a sous chef. And then I was able to hire my pastry chef, uh, who is still with us. So, uh, you know, for three years now has been with us. So those are some important things uh, that I wanted to do. And I think the way that I kind of navigated it was bringing people that already knew who I was and how I worked. So there was a mutual respect. And, and prior to this, you had no like hiring and interviewing experience, right? I mean, you kind of jumped into yeah, the Yeah, like I, I always say, actually, I had hired only one person previously, and that was because uh, he was a tandoor chef and... Uh, our head chef at that time uh, was actually in Dubai uh, for our opening over there. So the the, the number two wow. chef uh, wasn't as as uh, trained in in tandoor as I was. So mm -hmm. essentially, I did the whole interview process uh, and and worked with the person, and then essentially uh, hired him. And he was with us actually for quite a while as well, about four or five years. Uh, but that was as I was a sous chef when I did that. Uh, but yeah, this was my first time really, you know, having the whole, you know, kitchen program to look after and hire uh, not only cooks, but dishwashers, uh, the porters, um, pastry department, which I had never worked in previously, uh, as well as the, the kitchen staff, uh, the cooks in Savory. Overnight, when you got the executive chef role and you got obviously all these responsibilities overnight, almost, uh, was it overwhelming for you? And, and did you, you know, I just, I'm just trying to pick your brain about how you thought of yourself as having to be a leader and crap, I don't, I don't have any experience doing this. Very, very, very stressful. And it's, it's totally understandable, you know, to be, to be stressed out, especially, you know, coming into my position, we had already received a Michelin star for, uh, at that point, I think it was six consecutive years, uh, one of the longest Indian, rest, uh, Indian restaurants in America to, to get it for that many years in a row. So there was definitely uh, a pressure from day one. And, and the thing with restaurants is that you can't just close down for it's not like the restaurant closed down for two weeks or three weeks. And as I implemented what I wanted to implement and changed the menu as I wanted to change, it was literally overnight, uh, you know, April 30th. The guests came in, they had a meal, and then literally May 1st, I took over. And no guest, it uh, doesn't matter what day they come, they don't want to hear, you know, me say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm sorry for for a bad meal. Uh, I, you know, I'm, it's my first day or, you know, it's uh, my sous chef's first day or my, you know, my line cook's first day. Uh, you know, they're paying good money. So we had to keep that standard up. Uh even as we were kind of transitioning. So I knew going into the job that I, that virtually at least one to two months, I would be working every day physically, you know, um, in the kitchen and the job of a chef, it's a 24 seven, uh, you know, job, even if you're not there, uh, you know, you have to, you have to maintain, you know, the food ordering, uh, you know, talking to your vendors, you're talking to your staff, maybe the fridge goes down or, you know, there's a VIP guest and, you know, I have to set the menu for that guest, even if I'm at home. So, you know, I'm constantly checking emails or, or you know, on my phone to make sure that things are going okay. Uh, and things can go wrong at any time. Uh, so I knew that, okay, physically, I'm going to have to be there every single day to make sure that, you know, there's, there's one clear, concise voice that that's my voice. Uh, that as I do things, uh, I have, you know, new cooks and old cooks alike that will be watching my every single move. So I have to set the example on how, you know, we are going to handle ourselves. Uh, how are we going to cook these dishes? You know, I, I turned over the menu, uh, you know, with, with the new whole new tasting menu, which was 10 new dishes, uh, you know, a few different appetizers, a few different entrees, as well as brought on a new pastry chef, uh, so I had to make sure that the pastry chef was comfortable, that he was getting acclimated, uh, you know, that he wasn't being overwhelmed as well, uh, handling, you know, a whole new situation. Uh, 
um, as well as incorporating my new uh, two sous chefs, uh, my two kitchen managers, uh, to make sure that they were being uh, that I was that they were doing the tasks that I were giving them, uh, that we were organized day in and day out, uh, and that everyone was you know uh, respecting one another, coming in on time, uh, cleaning their stations. Uh, you know, checking out before they leave, uh, taste every single dish, make sure every single, uh, you know, p- uh, part of a dish was uh, tasting perfect, the presentation was perfect. Uh, so there was definitely a lot of things to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but essentially, every day I would come in, you know, uh, come in with the checklist. There's certain days that, uh, you know, actually almost every day, I don't finish everything on that checklist. You know, there was there were certain projects that I knew, okay, I need a summer menu. That's not going to be done in one day, but I can take steps towards doing that. Um, I need to still hire one cook. Okay, you know, I'll put the ads out, and I know that that's going to be, you know, a couple of weeks of a process. You know, as you get the resumes, uh, you know, you start going through the resumes, and you start setting up interviews. Half of them don't show up for the interviews. Then, you know, whoever does show up for the interview, you call them in. Uh, you know, to work one day in the kitchen, one to two days in the kitchen, half of them don't show up. So it's, you know, it's, it's definitely a process. Uh, but yeah, like essentially once, once, once I started May 1st, um, you know, we, uh, we ran with the previous menu. Uh, but within that first week, um, I had the managers, uh, the owner, my cooks, everyone start tasting the new dishes to give their approval. Yeah. I had to document the recipes, uh, make sure that, uh, you know, they were standardized so that, you know, it's not me that cooks every single day, every single dish. I pass, I showed the cooks how to do it once and then, you know, they're required to do it. They can refer to the recipe and, you know, that's how it will work. Uh, so, you know, we, it, was, it was a day-to-day kind of thing, but I, I definitely did, you know, you definitely do feel overwhelmed. Right. Uh, but you have to have, you know, some sense of confidence in yourself that, you know, I've, I've been I've been given this opportunity. It's a once in a I wouldn't say maybe once in a lifetime, but it's it's a very big opportunity. Uh, you have to make sure that you have all your ducks in a row. Uh, and, you know, sometimes the job is going to call for 18 hours, 16 hours. You know, you're the you know, there's, there's nights that I literally uh, slept in the basement of the restaurant. Uh because I didn't see, you know, it's three in the morning, you know, sleep for a few hours, wake up and, uh, you know, get right back to it. And yeah, uh, it, you know, you have that's to do whatever insane, has man. to be done. And that's the thing about, you know, with restaurants, it's, uh, and with Janun, it's a 365 day a year operation, both lunch and dinner service. You had, you know, guests coming from India, guests coming from Europe. Uh, you know, you had corporate clientele, you had, you know, the food bloggers, uh, you know, families, whatever it is. But every day we were doing at least, you know, 100 to 250 people on a daily basis. So I knew that those first couple of months would be rough, that I would be there, you know, uh, virtually, you know, every day I lost a lot of weight, uh, you know, doing it. But at the, at the, at the same time, uh, it was, you know, it's definitely worth it. And, you know, you, you see those benefits, uh, you know, you reap the, you know, the, you reap what you sow, essentially, and you know, put in the work, and you know, we made things happen. Appreciate all that insight, man. I really love it because I think so many of my listeners are going to be up and coming, emerging leaders from, you know, cor- mostly from corporate offices and those backgrounds. And you know, we live unfortunately <laughs> yeah. in in a society where its experience is so heavily relied upon that so many other qualities that you just clearly displayed here are just forgotten. And, and you look at job posts today mm-hmm. on anywhere and it's, you know, for example, it could be a sales guy and he wants to apply to, you know, he sells fruits, but he wants to go to a medical technology device salesman, right? That company will say, oh, do you have 15 years of experience selling medical devices? And it's like, what if I don't, yeah. you know, what if you, what about you ask something else about me? And I think that's just, we're constantly shoved that into our face that, oh, do you have 15 or 10 years experience doing this specific thing? And so many other attributes go right out the door. But I I love how you're showing that from what I'm hearing so far is focusing on the task at hand. This is the product. This is my customer. This is what we need to do. And we got to do it. And as simple as it sounds, 
believe it or not, I, I, I see so many people having difficulty executing on that. And, and they focus on the other attributes as, you know, how many experience? Well, I, I don't, I've never been a leader before. I don't know how to hire, but I love your attitude, yeah. man, of just, I got to do this. I, I need two sous chefs. I need the managers. I got to do it. Um, I remember one of my first interviews I had, one of the first guys uh, I hired who's actually become one of my good friends. I, I had no idea what the hell I was doing, man. And in the interview, you know, I remember I told him, you know, can you sell me this, this MacBook? It was the most embarrassing questions and he still doesn't let it go. But yeah. I, don't, I don't care about those moments, you know, because those are growing mm-hmm. moments. And obviously he told me, he's like, don't ever ask that question again. <laughs> I was like, I yeah. won't. But, and I'm sure you have your stories yeah. of that uh, as well. And- yeah, I would, I would say two things that, uh, you know, just to respond. Uh, one thing on, on the hiring aspect and the experience aspect. Uh, actually, recently I went to a, uh, a restaurant pop-up in New York City with, uh, with my family. Uh, it was one of my old cooks who invited me. Uh, he, so, and I was very proud of him. I mean, just watching, it, it was fantastic food. Uh, it was very interesting. Uh, there was a Korean uh, pop-up called Jumak. Uh, so shout out to them. But uh, what was very interesting was the way that I met him actually uh, was at an event. Uh, so sometimes, you know, the uh, we'll do events to help uh uh, maybe the parks. So it's like, you know, uh, Central Park, uh, uh, Eats and, you know, it's fundraising events, uh, Madison Square Park, things like that. So there was one uh, pretty close to the restaurant. It was for some fundraiser. Uh, so we set up a little stall and we give food out, you know, uh, one dish by noon. Uh Next to us, there was a cocktail mixology kind of uh, booth. So there was this one, you know, bartender who's making drinks all night. So, you know, we were giving him food. He was giving us drinks. So we got to, you know, talking to him and he, you know, mentioned to us that uh, he had a military background and is bartending now, but really wanted to be a chef. He loved cooking, uh, thought he was very good at cooking at home and, and wanted to take that next step and like wanted to become a professional uh, cook and then eventually a chef. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we asked him, you know, you have any experience? Zero experience in, in restaurant environment. Fair enough. But we saw, you know, in his eyes and, and just the way he was talking, that passion was really exuding. So we invited him for, uh, you know, like a one day come to the restaurant uh, kind of thing and see how things are, you know, uh, work in a restaurant, you know, and, and see if it's for you. Sometimes a lot of the times I'll tell even culinary students that come to the restaurant for one one day, two days, whatever, and uh see how it really is because you're not going to see it on food network and things like, and, you know, and YouTube videos and stuff, but that's not how it is. It's, 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 you know, shut the hell up, do the work. Uh, you know, it's pressure, 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 stress, 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 you know, from six o'clock to 10 o'clock and then clean, 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 and then, you know, go home and eat some food you know, while you're there, but it's a, it's a stressful day. <laughs> so he came and, uh, we, I was actually in Indonesia, so it was my sous chef uh, that was there, and I was cooking one week in Indonesia. So I kept on uh, asking my sous chef. I was like, "How is he doing? How's he doing?" He's like, I, I, "You know, I, I like him. I think he's good." I said, "All right, like really kick his ass, also. You know, let's uh, you know make him feel like how, how it really be." Yeah. So uh, you know, after the day. Uh, the sous chef said, "Hey, I'm going to invite him. He wants to work for the week for free. You know, like I'm, I'm going to, ha- you know, free hand. Let's have him." So I said, "Yeah, yeah take take care of it." Right. And we ended up hiring him. Uh, he enrolled in in classes, also a six month course on in culinary in New York City. Um, That's and, beautiful. And yeah, he stayed with us for one year. And I told him basically when we hired him that a, like you shouldn't be here more than one year, maybe two max. And, you know, then after that, if you want to be the best, go to a two Michelin star restaurant, work there, go to three Michelin star restaurant, go there. And, uh, you know, I asked him, one of the questions I do ask uh, prospective cooks is, who do you follow on Instagram? And and, and uh, Instagram mostly for, for chefs because uh, you see their dishes and whatnot. Right. I want to see, are you following the best restaurants? Are you following the best uh, chefs? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not too crazy about uh social media and how how it's used these days but i do believe that it's it's shrunken you know every industry you know what a person's doing in singapore just like that uh, so the news is readily available but you get to also see okay what is this chef working on that oh that's an interesting dish that's an interesting uh this is an interesting looking restaurant and and how their service is so he uh 
he was already following everybody. Um, I asked him, what books are you reading? You know, he gave me a list of, you know, several cookbooks and, and memoirs and things like that that he wanted to read. So anyway, long story short, you know, he joined the team. He worked with us for a year. He went to a two Michelin starred restaurant after that, uh, the modern, um, and was working there until, you know, uh, the pandemic uh, began. So that's right. one case of I didn't need a resume. I didn't need to see experience. I just wanted to see how does this guy, how badly does he want it? Uh, you know, you can always teach somebody, um, but... And I don't know if that works for every industry. Obviously, like if it's finance, you need, you know, you need, uh, mm-hmm. or, you know, to be a doctor, obviously it's not like that. No, but, but you had the right yeah. idea. You had the right idea with it because it's, it, and sometimes I don't believe, I don't blame necessarily the hiring managers either because it stems from the top down, right? Because that hiring manager is responsible to answering to her boss. And if whoever she hires doesn't perform well, then she's getting mm-hmm. shit for it, you know? So Again, it's a systematic issue, I think. And I think more people like you just having that niche thought were like, listen, at the end of the day, you know, when I hire two, I would love a guy who's worked in sales for five, 10 years over someone who has less, you know, like naturally you're going to be inclined. But I think as long as you keep that door open, then you'll keep yourself open to the opportunity of of meeting some great talent. And and I think, uh, you know, people uh, like yourself and, and the generation that we're in, I think we can change that tide and, 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 you know, break from those shackles of that corporate structure that honestly, you know, it starts from that corporate places, but you just see it every. There's also uh, a book I recently read, which is uh, a restaurateur, Danny Meyer, who um, uh, owns, he's the founder of Shake Shack, as well as several phenomenal you know restaurants in New York city. Uh, like, uh, you know, he's opened like 10 restaurants, in just in New York City, and there's only closed one in like a 30-year career, which is like unheard of. And the restaurants in the city last one year, two years max. I mean, most of the restaurants are like two, three decades old now. Is that the average uh, one or two years? Oh, for a new restaurant? Yeah, I mean, I would say like uh, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, uh, but it is a mm-hmm. staggering number of restaurants do close within one to two years of opening. That's crazy. Uh, it's just yeah, because the, you know the, when you open a restaurant, you're you. you you should definitely plan to not profit whatsoever within the first six to one year, six months to one year. Uh, so sometimes, and you see a lot of restaurateurs are not necessarily hospitality people. They'll be, you know, a doctor or a lawyer or someone that, you know, has the money that they'll invest in it. Yeah. And I don't think they're necessarily ready to see that within the first few months they're not making money. Uh, so, and, and, the, and besides that, the profit, the margin is so low, uh, you know, good restaurants might do five to 6%. Uh, but besides that, a lot of restaurants are below that in terms of the line of between profit and loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing that he does mention in his book, it's, it's a phenomenal book. I don't think it's only for restaurant people to read. I think anyone that's thinking of going to start their own business should read it. It's called setting the table. Uh, so one thing he does says, say is that even if he needed to hire somebody for his restaurant uh, and, and they were you know slammed that night, they had 300 people that were coming in and they really needed that one server. But if they were interviewing people and that server wasn't right for the position, he says he would rather, and he did it you know when he started, he rather worked himself, uh, did the extra hours, um, you know, put in the work, rather than hire the wrong person because that wrong person can be a cancer to your team, can send the wrong message to the guests, can do so much damage. Uh, And that's one thing that I definitely stand by is even if we were desperate, desperate for, and I didn't do this early on when, when I first started the restaurant, if I needed a person uh, and I was very desperate, I would bring them in because there's only so much one person that I could do. Um, You know, you just need bodies in the kitchen. So I would hire them and, you know, they weren't right for the job, right for the position. And I made that mistake, uh, you know, a couple of times. But then, you know, I learned from those mistakes. And then, you know, when I read this book, I realized that, okay, you know, um, it's okay to maybe take a hit for a couple of days or a week or so. But uh, hire the right person. Take your time and make sure that they are fit for the team because it will make a difference down the line. 
Yeah, you're spot on. And I, I experienced the exact same way. I, it, you know, unfortunately, as much as I hate it, until we make that mistake of hiring that bad person, you don't learn. Yeah. You know, you, you want to hire that quick. And I have a nightmare story. I'm sure you do of, of someone that just wasn't a fit, not necessarily a nightmare. But um, I think sometimes we need those moments where you hit your head on the rock to, to recognize that, hey, you know, I can't I got to put more emphasis on this and leadership. You know, managing becomes so much easier if the person is right, right? I mean, it, managing someone becomes very difficult when the person initially is is uh, not compliant and 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 just not a perfect fit. Yeah. Um, you know, the beauty of leadership to me, one of the beautiful things about it is, you know, so many people like yourself who grow as a leader without, you know, that corporate structure, quote unquote, you know, in terms of you didn't receive formal training as far as leader, you know, the first day you got executive chef, no one handed you a binder saying, hey, you know, this is how to manage your staff, right? But I think the beauty of growing up like that is you create a unique style that is almost not definable. Um, And that's the way at least I see it. If I were to talk to your staff or, or even yourself or anyone around you, what would you say, is your unique style of leadership? Um, that's a great question. Um, I would definitely say, you know, you talk to the staff. One thing that I wanted to make sure is that uh, accountability is something that I take very serious. So, uh, you know, my leadership style would be that you have to be ready as the leader to uh, make sure that the buck stops with you. So, you know, if something does go wrong, uh, you have to first look inward that, hey, you know, that's on me. You know, I'm the first person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't believe in, you know, having an ego or whatever, uh, you know, whether it's being Forbes under 30 or Michelin star or whatever it is. Uh, if I've messed up, even if it's to a uh, minimum wage, you know, uh, dishwasher and I, I did something wrong, I will definitely take the blame and, uh, you know, work on myself. And that's what I expect out of my staff. So lead by example is one thing for sure. Uh, the other would definitely be that um, I have a very open door policy, uh, meaning that literally anybody of my staff, even if they don't work directly under me, like a server, hostess, bartender, whoever it is, if they want to learn something or they don't feel comfortable about something, uh, they don't, you know, something's bothering them. And they can't achieve the greatness and that uh, for the standard that we want them to achieve for that day. They can always come talk to me, uh, and you know we'll figure things out together. Um, I'm definitely very uh, strict. You know, like I, I do uh, lose my temper. You know, in the kitchen, that's that's something that happens that I need to work on better to in communicating. Um, but that tempers is, you know, um, I think goes hand in hand with fairness that I'm never going to be unfair to my staff. Uh, you know, if I lose my cool over something, uh, they know that, okay, that, you know, clearly they did something uh, wrong and it wasn't wrong the first time. I, I'm always accepting of a mistake the first time you make it, but it always bothers me if that mistake is repeated. And if you repeat that mistake two times, three times, whatever it is, you're not learning. You're not learning from the mistakes. You're not getting any better. And that always really um, bothers me a lot. So mm-hmm. I guess those are, you know, some some uh, traits that I would have, you know. And, and I'm definitely hands-on because as a chef, you have to be. You have to be in the kitchen. You have to be, you know, present for your staff uh, so that, you know, they can see the captain of the ship. Um, and, yeah, that's, you know, I would say that's some of the things. I love that, man. And um, have you heard of the book uh, called Measure What Matters by John Doerr? No. Have you heard of it? No. So it's, uh, I, I'm huge on accountability too. So I, I love uh, mm-hmm. you saying that. And, and this book is, um, it's a, a goal accountability system that uh, some of the biggest companies like Google and, and YouTube and, and Microsoft, all of them use it. And um, it saved me a lot because it's basically, uh, it, it quantifies goal setting. And through objectives and key results. Um, after this, uh, uh, off the line, I'll share with you. It's it's an awesome book. Uh, yeah, what, what was the name? It. It's called Measure What Matters. 
Got it. Yeah, and it's a system of OKRs, um, and I, I do it with everything now. At first, I started with just um, my office, and then now I just do it for my own life, <laughs> um, and yeah. it just sets that accountability. Um, you mentioned, you know, kitchen environments. I, when I was a kid growing up, I, I worked as a busboy um, and uh, a bar back, and just to get through college in Chicago. And I worked for a tandoori restaurant, and. Um, my God, uh, I, I know kitchens are intense, so I'm, I'm used to it. Like I know it's very pressure, mm-hmm. but uh, I remember I was like, I was so scared because the the head chef over there was super, super intense. Mm-hmm. And I was just a, a busboy, but even the littlest things that I wasn't doing, I was getting the hair of it. So um, I learned after he slowed me down. He's like, relax, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, I'm, I may be more intense, but it's just the environment. So um, I, I totally get what you're saying. And I think, I think a kitchen environment is like no other office to say the least. Right. Yeah. And I think people don't understand how different it is. Um, and sometimes applying all these classical leadership principles to that can, I, I, first of all, I can't imagine how you do it. And, and I know you've, uh, you've had your sin at business school as well. Mm-hmm. What are some of those principles that you may have applied in, and you mentioned a lot of them throughout this as far as accountability and leading by example, but obviously in that kitchen environment where you also alluded to it's 365 ideas, it's intense, it's go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. Have you found it a little bit more difficult applying some of those traditional leadership principles? Yeah, a little yes and no to me. Uh, so it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's definitely finding a balance to see like when you can, um, implement some of those principles because there is definitely like a time and place you have to be. And one thing about the kitchen is you have to be, there, there's so many deadlines you have to hit in a day. It's not, it's not a weekly mm-hmm. deadline. Like, okay, you know, hand this in by Friday or hand this in by the end of the day. This is literally like certain things that we've done by noon. Then you have lunch service. Then you got to clean up. That certain things have to be done by four 30. Then we got to clean up. Then you got dinner service. So, if there are certain times where you can do things. And one thing that I realized was the communication aspect is so important uh, that I feel like a lot of uh, chefs, a lot of kitchens, a lot of restaurants um, struggle with because there's that daily grind that honestly uh, a lot of chefs, and I've seen it firsthand, that will burn out, you know, because there's so much work and there's so there's not enough time to organize. And you, as, as a, almost every chef is brilliant really smart, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're geniuses in their own right. But the problem becomes, how do you communicate what you're seeing on a daily basis, dinner service, the tickets are coming in wrong, or the cooks are doing something wrong, X, Y, and Z. You can't mm-hmm. do anything between that time, 6 and 10 o'clock, 5.30 to 10, 11 o'clock. When it's busy, you got to get the food out. You don't have times for meetings. Mm-hmm. You don't have times to pull, you know, people aside and, and you know, go over things and things like that. It's literally tickets start rolling in. You gotta, uh, you know, start preparing the food. You gotta send it out. Uh, and you know, mistakes will happen along the way. You gotta rectify them like that and keep going. You can't linger because once you start lingering on one issue, two minutes here, not even two minutes, fifteen seconds. Uh, on if you if you start lagging behind on each ticket and you have, you know. 50 tickets or, you know, and, and, you know, like it'll, it'll add up and you'll just get backed up and backed up and backed up. And then last guest that'll sit, will be waiting. You know, the first guest might've waited 15 seconds. That last guest is waiting 40 minutes, you know, for the food. So one thing that I definitely did for communication. And like you said, you know, you're at a chef that, you know, um, uh, you know, in Chicago, uh, you know, when, when you were hired, what I would have done is I, I would sit you down even if you're not necessarily, you know, working directly under me and, and mentioned that, you know, yeah, it is, it is stressful. Uh, I might be yelling or whatever, but, uh, you know, slow down, you know, uh, be careful, be comfortable, you know, don't take anything personal, you know, things like that should be said at the forefront, not later on, you know, like you said that you were making some mistakes here and there. If I was a chef, I would have done it earlier. And one thing that I did later on, uh, uh, this past year, actually, was I started holding daily meetings with my whole kitchen staff. Uh, we did that with the servers anyway, every day between 5 and 5.30. You do pre-chef uh, lineup before dinner service, talk about the yes and whatnot. So I started doing that in the kitchen. 
I would ask all the cooks at like four o'clock, you know, how's everything going? You know, um, any issues, whatever, you know, so that they felt they were included and it was an inclusive mm-hmm. kind of thing so that everyone felt that kind of confidence that, okay, chef has my back. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, I, I started doing that. So that was only five minutes because we don't have that much time, you know, to, we can't linger on stuff. So it's five minutes quick. These are the guests we have. These are the VIPs. Uh, you okay? You okay? You okay? Mm-hmm. You know, or do you need help? Or uh, can you help them? You know, things like that. We would do that real quick. And yeah. then uh, on Fridays, I started holding uh, kitchen meetings uh, for everyone as well, where we would sit down in the main dining group with our notebooks, pens, and pencils for 30 minutes. And in those 30 minutes, mm-hmm. that would be more of a big picture kind of meeting every single Friday. Uh, how are you feeling about menu, whatever, and issues come up, you know, this were, you know, we're not doing a good job of cleaning. We're not doing a good job in maintaining the fridges. We had eight different fridges downstairs, mm-hmm. uh, walk-in refrigerators. So it was, it was pretty huge. Wow. Um, so, you know, different things like that. Um, so you can't do, you. It, it's tough, like getting back to your question, it's very difficult to hold those mm-hmm. principles um, during the course of the day. So I, basically decided to start carving out time where I could implement um, those principles for yeah. a short amount of time that made sure that the staff uh, knew that, uh, you know, I was listening to them, that, uh, you know, there was accountability being, uh, you know, uh, for each other, accountability towards one another, mm-hmm. uh, respect for one another, and, and, you know, overall planning and inclusion for everybody so that they all felt pride in what they were doing. Yeah, and it definitely goes a long way because it's not a surprise that I didn't stay at that restaurant for too long, right? I stayed there for a few months and a lot of leaders in, in that case and that chef thought, ah, I don't have time to communicate. He should just get it. And and I hear that so much. I mean, you would not believe it. I'd be one of those that always felt like, you know, uh, I, I don't have you know the time for this nonsense and you know, all this, you know, little, little things. And then, you know, I took, once you take the step back, and carve out just a few minutes. It's not like you have to give your whole life to it. But if mm-hmm. if your staff feels like they're being heard, uh, makes the world a difference for sure. And and uh, less turnover yeah. for it, sure. I, I virtually um, maybe had uh, one person leave every couple of months Um in in uh, amongst my uh, entire kitchen team of like thirty, including dishwashers and whatever, amongst thirty to thirty five people, maybe once every three months, once every four months. Like most of my staff, towards the end, uh, before the pandemic hit, um, were with me for over mm-hmm. one to two years within the kitchen. Uh, you know, in, the, in our industry, that's a lifetime. So. No, and I can genuinely see why. Uh, everything you've laid out, it's not it's it's not a secret. And I think people with leadership are always, you know, wanting to find that secret recipe. And sometimes it's not that crazy. It's it's I don't want this person hurt. I want to tell them what they expect. And and honestly, man, you, you're really doing the right ways. One of the last things to, to finish off with, uh, I want to ask you is you're so keen on growth. I can tell. Um, and as you've hit some accomplishments, the 430 under 30 and the mission rated star, so many great things you've done. But how do you keep yourself going um, to, to keep growing? And I'd love to hear some of your uh, your ambitions and, and your goals uh, in the near future. Yeah, and uh so actually, I probably owe it uh, more so to my parents and uh, my brother um, for always kind of uh, keeping me in check, so to speak, um, because one thing that my father said to me, and uh, he's actually uh, owner of the restaurant, um, so he has always kind of told me that, you know, don't rest on your laurels. You know, whatever you did in the past is the past. What you did yesterday was yesterday. Uh, you know, keep keep chugging along, and and that's something that I you know, uh, watching kind of how he's worked his whole career uh, has been very you know, um, it's it's something that I look up to, that motivates me. And same thing with my brother, uh, he's always you know pushed me. He's six years older to me, uh, so mm-hmm. you know yeah, I definitely have good role models. 
that have set kind of a, a good foundation that have made sure that, hey, you know, stay humble no matter what, uh, you know, life throws at you. You know, you can be at the bottom, you can be at the top. It doesn't matter. Just, you know, be who you are. Um, and then I guess, you know, I, I, what, I, what I actually do do and what I've done over the last few years, and it's uh, an ode to my pastry chef, uh, Gustavo, who, you know, I mentioned uh, was my first hire mm-hmm. when I took over as head chef. He was, you know, the pastry chef I brought on. Uh, and what he, uh, you know, kind of made me start realizing was uh, putting pen to paper is so much more important than people realize. You know, don't just keep everything locked in your head. Write things down, right? Make, you know, make lists, whether it's organizing your day or organizing your week or whatever it is. You know, keep a calendar, all these different things that, you know, as a, as, as a cook and as a chef, we're very organized people, but kind of like in our head, you know, we, we, we plan things out, but, you know, not necessarily writing it down. So I started writing things down. And one of the things I started writing down were my goals, goals for, uh, you know, the month, goals for six months and goals for the year. So every New Year's, you know, I write down, maybe it might, carry on from the year before. Uh, but I feel like that's something that I find very important that for the last few years, I've written down things that I really want to achieve. So, you know, whether it's, um, you know, getting a Michelin and that's definitely something that I, I want to continue to, um, you know, try to achieve is getting that second star, uh, being one of the few Indian chefs to do that. You know, getting, um, mm-hmm. one star was definitely a, a um, you know, a, a very proud moment. And, uh, and what's the, sorry to cut you off, but what's the criteria for, for the Michelin rated? Like after you get the first, is there like a, is there like a set list of like, you need to do this to hit it? Or is it very subjective? Very, it's very, I I, th- I think it's very subjective or uh, I don't, you know, that that's, a, yeah. that's the crazy thing about this, th- this particular kind of, you know, yeah. accolade is that you have no idea who the people are that are coming to, uh, God, that's so annoying. Food. Yeah, and they can come at any time. So being open 365 days a year is definitely a pain in the, you know, pain in the, you know yeah. what, because they can come for lunch, they can yeah. come for dinner. And, and uh, you know, I think I think it's it's definitely food, it's ingredients, it's how you present the food. Mm-hmm. Uh, they say it's not service, uh, but, I you know, I, I'm not too sure about that. Uh, and so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just the overall that experience. You just have to be really like on top of every little uh, detail from the second they walk in to the second they leave. Um, yeah, so it's definitely it's a it's a very intense thing because you really don't know. Um, you know, like I know if the New York Times editor is coming in, uh, you know, they'll they wear disguises. But you know, but you know, like if a uh, you know person from Zagat or Thrillist or or wherever is coming, to, yeah, um, you know, you'll you'll know. But this is the one that you really mm-hmm. don't. So, so that's you just don't know. Yeah. So it's it's something that, um, you know, even on the day that, and this is a little, you know, this is just how I am. The day that I was uh, got the Forbes under thirty, uh, um, about two months before that, we actually were uh, not include. We did not get our star for twenty twenty. Uh, it comes out in mm-hmm. October. So I remember it was like uh, beginning of December of 2019 that uh, I received the Forbes. And all I thought was how much I would want to trade that in to get the Michelin back because that's a team thing. That's something that the restaurant Mm -hmm. uh, gets. It's really not the chef's award. It's, I mean, the chef is the driving force behind it, but it's the restaurant that gets it and it's the team. And I think it's the ultimate, like, um, you know, uh, accolade that you can get of like wow you did you were able to maintain standard for your team of you know junior units 80 people between the front of the house back of the house i mean you were able to keep things so tight so consistent uh you know that that speaks volumes so you know for the future for me i think it's definitely uh first and foremost is you know getting uh getting the restaurants reopened uh, you know, I have these these two projects, you know, in front of me with the fast casual mm-hmm. as well as you know the actual restaurant itself. You know, to get those mm-hmm. up and running, um, you know, bring my staff back. So, you know, within the next one to two years, I already know that that's going to take a lot of you know my uh, time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, you know, I definitely want to explore um, more cuisines besides India. You know, I was in Japan mm-hmm. last year, um, July 2019. 
for a culinary scholarship mm-hmm. program. And uh, during that, I got to work there for four days, um, as well as travel like multiple cities and just eat and uh, get to really experience the culture. And I really fell in love with it. I definitely uh, see myself uh, spending maybe a few months in Japan uh, when this is, you know, obviously a few years down the road mm-hmm. when all this is blown over. Uh, right. You know, and, and learn more about Japanese cuisine, travel more throughout Europe. You know, I want to learn more about African cuisine uh, and Latin America. So, you know, there, there's so much more for me to explore. You know, I definitely want to uh, represent Indian cuisine because I love it. Uh, I love the culture. I love my family and, and everything they stand for. But my grandparents and, you know, their parents and their parents and, you know, that lineage, like I, I, I feel a great deal mm-hmm. of respect and honor that I get to kind of showcase that um, in a way. So, uh, you know, I, I, I definitely, the next few years, want to try to push the boundaries more, uh, represent India better, and, uh, you know, to do the best I can. And then after that, um, you know, I have a few of my own uh, plans in terms of restaurants and whatnot. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, man. Listen, that's that's super exciting. I can't wait to follow your journey. And uh, I'm going to keep a close eye on Janoon and see when that opens. And honest, everything else you've mentioned, I'm going to follow up big time. And um, as soon as you guys open up and anything you do, um, you can count me in. I'll be there. You'll see me somewhere in the Thank back. You. I and, appreciate uh, yeah, definitely, man. Listen, uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. And uh, I'm not exaggerating when I say this is one of the best conversations I've had. You've been awesome. And, and just picking your brain on it and and seeing the way you do it uh, gives me hope uh, uh, that, that, you know, the generations uh, for us and after us um, really have a chance to change the landscape of leadership. And that was one of the biggest premises of me starting this podcast was to show um, everyone that, that it doesn't have to be this rigorous, the standard uh, leadership that we've been Definitely. all taught. I'm looking very forward to it and best of luck to you. And, you know, thank you for having me. And, you know, when you're in New York, we should definitely, you know, let's let's meet up and we'll grab a drink uh, and, you know, uh, you know, catch up a little bit. I really enjoyed this. Uh, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that episode and I really, really appreciate your support. If you want to learn more, please visit leadershipev.com. If you want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at rdg at leadershipev.com. That's A-R-D-I-G at leadershipev.com. Thank you and see you soon. And just ran a long distance. My girlfriend told me all I needed was persistence. Opportunity come one time, so don't